All right, if you take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 43. Genesis, the 43rd chapter. Genesis 43, and we're looking at verses 15 through 40, or 34. Our passage opens with ten of Joseph's brothers leaving Canaan, making a second trip down into Egypt to buy grain. The first time they went, they came face to face with the prime minister of the country, but they did not know that it was Joseph, the brother they had sold into slavery 20 years earlier. Now, they may not have recognized Joseph, but he knew exactly who they were. He used their meeting to try and get them to understand the guilt of their past. He had imprisoned his brother Simeon and had sent the remaining brothers home. He sent them away with orders not to return unless they brought the youngest brother, Benjamin, with them. So they headed back home. And along the way they discovered that the money they had paid for their grain had been returned to them and was in the sacks of grain. They caused, uh, it caused them to be even more afraid. And to make a long story short, they used up all the grain and they headed back to Egypt again. Now verse 15 tells us that they took Joseph a present, double the original money, and they took Benjamin. They were ushered into uh, Joseph's presence, and when he sees Benjamin, uh, he invites them in for lunch. Verse 15, it says, And the men took the present and took the double money in their hand, and Benjamin, and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. And so he invites them in, verse 16, and the men took that, uh, or, and when Joseph saw Benjamin was with them, he said to the ruler of his house, bring these men home, slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the man into Joseph's house. Now these verses describe a scene that's filled with emotions. Now, there's fear. There's grief, there's gratitude, and there's joy. And so you have all these emotions kind of mingled together in this reunion between Joseph and his brothers. And so we're going to look at this passage and and look at the subject of a sea of emotions. Now, emotions are something we deal with every day. Uh, Emotions are powerful. They can control our lives if we allow them to. Uh, We saw some emotions in our grandchildren this last few days. Uh, You know, it's, uh, I'm sure you've had this happen in your house. Meltdowns. You know, somebody gets upset or somebody uh, is told to do something they don't really want to do. Well, then there's a meltdown. It's emotions and feelings. Now, they're not all bad in and of themselves, but we must remember that our emotions arise from our minds and our souls, and we are fallen creatures, and so our emotions are affected as well. So that means not everything we feel is right or proper. And so we need to learn to check our emotions against the Word of God to ensure that we're not led astray by our feelings, And this happens far too often in people's lives. Sometimes young ladies will 
give up their purity because they're lost in a sea of emotions. The young men abandon their families because they get caught up in emotions. Families and churches become ripped apart because people allow emotions like anger and bitterness and resentment to control them. But of course, God can work in our emotions as well. He uses the natural responses to, uh, that we have to the events of life to teach us about Him, His will, and what He's doing in our lives. And so that's what our passage here this afternoon teaches us. This reunion scene between the brothers. We see men with, that have a sea of emotions. And I want to point out that the emotions that are portrayed here uh, are really can be some lessons uh, that we can learn. First of all, notice the brothers and their fears. The brothers and their fears. Let's go to verse 18 of chapter 43. Chapter 43, verse 18 says, And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time are, uh, are we brought in and he might seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us bondmen and, and our asses. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house and they communed with him at the door of the house and said, oh, sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food. And it came to pass when we came into the inn that we opened our sacks, and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack, and our money in the full weight, and we had bought, uh, brought it again in our hand. And the other money we have brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. And he said, Peace be to you, fear not. Fear not, your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon out into the, unto them. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and washed their feet and he gave their asses provender. When these men were brought into Joseph's house, they were afraid. The word afraid means to be filled with dread. Now they were convinced that they had been led into a trap and they were sure that Joseph was going to arrest all of them now and put them into prison. They express their fears to the steward of the house and he comforts them the best he can, even telling them that God was looking out for them. And then he brings out Simeon. And then he gives them water to wash their feet. That's a sign of great respect. He also gives them food for their animals. That's a sign of hospitality. And so with their hearts pounding in fear, they prepare themselves for the arrival of Joseph for the noon meal. Now, there are two emotions at work here in the lives of these men. They're afraid. They're afraid they're going to, uh, some harm's going to come to them. But they're also eaten alive with guilt. And so we're looking at those, those fears or those emotions first. So the first one is fear. The brothers and their fears. Just look for a moment at this idea of fear. Fear is a terrible emotion. It paralyzes, in effect, our lives. Fear renders us incapable of trusting the Lord, looking to Him for help when we need it in life. 
And if you look at this particular scene here, we have 11 men who've been brought up to know Jehovah, the only true living God, and yet they're so overcome with the emotion of fear that they are unable to see God's hand at work in their own lives. Ever been there? So afraid of something you can't even see that really God is working? They have to be reminded of God's grace and His sovereignty and His purposes. I think we've all been there at one time or another. Life comes at us with its problems and its tragedies, and when it does, we are filled with fear. Instead of faith in God, we're gripped by worry and fear. Someone has calculated, again, that there are at least 365 statements in the Bible calling us to put our fears aside and trust in the Lord. That's one fear not for every day of the year. And more than enough to cause us to trust Him. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Luke 12, 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's promised to hear us when we pray. He's promised to sustain us. And He's promised to meet our every need. And so with promises like that, why would anyone fret or fear? Don't allow fear to dominate your life. We need to learn to do as it says in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. If you live in fear, you'll never have peace in your life. If you learn to trust the Lord in all of your life, you'll never have anything to fear. Now the other emotion that we find here, of course, is guilt. These men were so overcome by fear, and the fact is they were really overcome with guilt. These men know that they've wronged their brother. They lied, and they're convinced that God is out to get them. And in a sense, they're right. The Lord is using these events of their life to bring them face to face with their past sins. He's awakening them in a sense, uh, with a sense of guilt, And this guilt is about to eat them up alive. They're convinced that they're being punished for all the evil they've done. Now, guilt can be a healthy emotion. The Lord uses it sometimes to awaken our sinful condition, to show us our need for the Lord. Causes us to feel guilty uh, for our sins. That Guilt before God is used by Him to draw us to the Lord and, and to His salvation. There is the good side of guilt. But there's also a negative side of guilt when we continue to feel bad over our sins that God has already forgiven. In the Old Testament, the Jews had an offering called the burnt offering. And a man would bring his sacrifice to the tabernacle and place his hands on the animal's head and he would kill the animal. The animal was taking the place of the sinner. And the sinner's guilt was transferred to the animal, and the sinner was cleansed of his guilt. 
This is what Jesus did. He went to the cross to die for us. He literally took our sins and our guilt upon Him. He became our sins. And He was judged in our place. When the Lord saves us, He takes away our sin. And they're gone forever. And we should not allow the flesh, the world, or the devil to beat us up over the sins that God has forgiven. If you're saved, your past is not an issue any longer. Let your faith in Jesus spell the end of your guilt. So the, the brothers and their fears, there was fear and guilt. But notice secondly, Joseph and his feelings. Joseph and his feelings. Beginning in verse 25, we read, And they made ready the present against Joseph, came at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to uh, him to the earth. And he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well, your old, uh, the old man of whom ye spake? Is he yet alive? And they answered, Thy servant, our father, is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up their eyes, and he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom ye spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. So Joseph is now upon the scene here, and his brothers are bowing before him. They're giving him gifts that they had brought. He immediately asks them about their father, and they tell him he's doing well. And then he he looks at Benjamin, and he knows that this is the only full brother he has. And so he pronounces a blessing upon him, and then he's overcome with emotion. And so he's so overcome, he leaves his brother standing there, and he seeks... uh, to find a place where he can weep his eyes out. He gives way to all the emotions and the rage within his heart, and he breaks down and he weeps. Now, with Joseph's feelings, we see some other some things here. We see burdens. I'm not sure what to call this emotion. What's the emotion that you have with a burden? But there are times when a person becomes so overwhelmed with the events of life and they become burdensome. It can include fear and anger and joy and all the emotions we feel and it can all pile up, so to speak, in our hearts until we can no more, we can't do anything more. We just seem like there needs to be an outlet. And sometimes people come to a place where they have somewhat of a breakdown there. Well, if that's happened to you, it's, uh, again, you're in good company because many others have, it's happened to them as well. Some of God's choice servants went through times of deep emotional distress. There's David when his beloved Absalom was killed. There was Job when he lost everything his children, his possessions, his health. There's Elijah. Uh, When 
Revival did not fall after the experiences at Mount Carmel. There's Moses. He was so overwhelmed with all he had to do. And contrary to what you might have been taught, there's no shame in being overwhelmed by your circumstances. For instance, when a loved one is taken by death, or when a disease rears its ugly head, or when your family is ripped apart, when your heart is broken, and many, many other times, it's easy to be overwhelmed, to be overcome. But thank the Lord... He understands our times of weeping and our brokenness. The Lord had such a time of His own in Luke 22 where He weeped in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the people who know you might not understand, but the Lord does. People not underst- might not understand or acknowledge your pain, but God will not rebuke you. He didn't rebuke these other great men. Others may tell you to snap out of it, get over it. But the Lord will stand by you and comfort you. He will help you to get through it. The Lord can take it when we fall apart. He can handle it when the pain and the emotion of our hearts seems to burst and we have a breakdown. Others might not be able to handle our breakdowns, but God can He can handle anything you feel. He can handle anything you might need to say to Him. So we need to be honest and open before the Lord and He can help us through those times. Let me go back to Moses for a a moment there. Moses, uh, Moses, for instance, when he had his little episode with the children of Israel and they're complaining in Numbers chapter 11, verse 11, it says, And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? Wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? And he was saying some pretty hard things to God. But did God get angry with Moses? Did God zap him with a lightning bolt? No. God helped him by taking some of the pressure off. And let me remind you this afternoon, God cares about the things you and I face every day in our lives. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Psalm 34, verse 1, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. Psalm 142, and verse 4 and 5 says, I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that could know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Matthew 6, 26 says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? And I'm certainly not suggesting uh, suggesting to you this afternoon it's okay to wallow in your self-pity. But I am saying that sometimes life just hurts. And when it does, we have a God who understands and who cares about our needs. Sometimes life just hurts, but God cares for you. Well, we've looked at the brothers and their fears, Joseph and his feelings. Notice, thirdly, the family and their feast. Verse 31. Verse 31. 
We read, And he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, Set on bread. And they set on for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews for that is an abomination of the Egyptians. And they sat before him and the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth and the men marveled one at another. And he took and sent messes unto them from before them before him, but Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. So we have Joseph coming back, gotten his emotions under control. He commands the servants to serve the meal. He seats himself because he's the ruler. The Egyptians are seated at another table because of their religion, forbidding them from eating with shepherds. And when the brothers of Joseph were seated for their meal, they notice they're seated in order, in the order of their birth. From the oldest to the youngest, and this is amazing to them. Now this should have been a clue to the identity of Joseph. No one else would have known the order of their births. In, in fact, a mathematician was, has concluded that there are 39,917,000 different orders in which 11 individuals could have been seated. That's a lot of different orders. But of course, we know that Joseph knew his brothers. They just didn't realize it was Joseph. So there they sit with Joseph, and the meal is served, and Joseph even sent them food from his table. When he did, he sent five times as much to his brother Benjamin. That should have been another clue. And so this chapter ends with all the brothers, Jacob's 12 sons, eating a meal together and being merry. They're all experiencing the emotion of joy. I suppose that joy is the favorite emotions that we have, isn't it? We're all, we all like to be happy. We all love that feeling of contentment. We all like to be joyful. And it's usually when we get everything that uh, we want, we think life is going like it ought to, that's a good feeling. In fact, God teaches us that happiness and joy are actually very healthy. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones, Proverbs 17, 22 tells us. Laughter is good for the soul. Laughter is good for your face as well. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken, Proverbs fifteen thirteen. In fact, the Bible tells us that people who have a merry heart live in a continual celebration atmosphere. Life to them is bless, a blessed time of joy and happiness. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but, of, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. A continual feast. That's what the Bible says, Proverbs 15, 15. Now, you remember Paul and Silas, what they did in prison? They praised the Lord. They sang even in that dungeon there in Acts 16, Paul was just living out what he preached. There's nothing wrong with being a happy person. 
If you aren't happy and enjoying the joy of the Lord as you walk in this life, you ought to get before the Lord and ask Him to help you to have joy. I think there is a school of thought that says, well, Christians that are happy all the time uh, probably aren't living right. You know, you have to be miserable if you're going to be a Christian. No, that's not true. If you're smiling, laughing, and having a good time, sometimes people say, well, you're not serious about the things of God. Well, I read where there's a Greek word for that. It's called hogwash. You do not have to act like you're baptized in vinegar to be spiritual. In fact, the truly spiritual person is a person who is happy and rejoicing in what he has in the Lord. Now, let's not miss that. Here are these men with Joseph. They're sitting at the table feasting, and they paint a powerful picture of the great grace of God. You see, these men were guilty. They had committed some serious sins. No one would have blamed Joseph. He had thrown him into prison and left him there to rot. But Joseph forgives them, and he welcomes them into his own home. He invites them to eat with him at his table, and he shares the very best that he has. Again, this is a picture of what the Lord has done for us. We're guilty. We're worthy of judgment. We deserve far worse than prison or slavery. We deserve death and hell. But He loved us in spite of our condition. He saved us from our sins. He brought us into His family. He feeds us with the best things from His table. He's even preparing a place for us in heaven. He's taken away our guilt in our past. He's healed our wrecked and ruined spiritual condition. He's replaced our guilt with His peace. He's given us His Spirit. He's filled us with the capacity of genuine joy for the Lord. A little chorus we used to sing all the time. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Based upon a, a Bible verse. Do we have the joy of the Lord in our lives? If we don't, it's our own fault. Because we've been given every ingredient for true happiness and true joy and true rejoicing. Praise the Lord. Now, we humans are emotional creatures. If we're not careful, our emotions will control our lives and our actions. We need to bring even our emotions under control of the Lord. And if He's spoken to your heart, perhaps that's what you need today. You need to deal with your guilt. If you're not saved, let Jesus take your guilt away. If you are saved, learn to rest in what He's done for your soul. Do you need to bring some fear to the Lord? He knows how to speak peace to your heart. Are you overwhelmed by the circumstances of life? Are you close to a breakdown? Come to the Lord and cast your burden upon Him. If you lack joy, the Lord will give you the peace and happiness that you need. You need to praise Him for His grace in your life. You can come and do that even as we close our service tonight. Just listen to His voice and do what He's telling you to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven.